So today is part four in our series, my third message that I'm sharing in the series. And our text is Hebrews chapter four, verses 11 and 12. The name of the series, if you're just joining us, is God Breathe the Holy Bible. The Bonner Group, which is a reputable, reputable um, polling um, company, in partnership with American Bible Society, explored how people in the nation's 100 largest media markets view and use the Bible. I have the whole study. It's it's fascinating. And this was a 10-year study. And the findings were released last year in 2017. They they released a list of America's most Bible-minded cities, with Rochester being 86 out of a hundred. Eighty-six out of one hundred. My birth city of New Bedford, Massachusetts, is tied with Providence, Rhode Island, for ninety-eighth place. Makes sense, liberal New England. In their study, they also listed the most post-Christian cities in America with Rochester being 13 out of 100. This makes sense as well when you are 86 on the most Bible-minded cities list. To qualify as post-Christian, individuals had to meet nine or more of the following factors. Number one, do not believe in God. Number two, identify as atheist or agnostic. Agnostics claim neither faith nor belief in God. Number three, disagree that faith is important in their lives. Number four, have not prayed to God in the last week. Have never made a commitment to Jesus. Disagree the Bible is accurate. Have not attended a Christian church in the last six months. Agree that Jesus committed sins. Do not feel a responsibility to share their faith. Have not read the Bible in the last week. Have not volunteered at the church in the last week. Have not attended Sunday school in the last week. Have not attended religious small group in the last week. As far as Bible engagement scale, low. Have not read the Bible in the past week and disagree strongly or somewhat that the Bible is accurate. Number 15, not born again. Number 16, have not donated to the church in the last year. The metrics that they have used for this study, again, very fascinating, very interesting, and and very alarming as well. There's a new term, post-truth. I don't know if you've heard the term post-truth now being used to describe the current climate in the United States in which reality is relative. Truth is relative and even the facts are open to interpretation. In another study, the Barner Group researched the trend shaping a post-truth error. It's quite interesting and alarming at the same time. Truth is increasingly regarded as something felt rather than something known. In a national poll, the question was asked, is moral truth absolute or relative? 35% said absolute. 44% said relative. 
21% said have never thought about it. The Bonner Group asked a question, who are you most likely to see as a credible new source? 39% said a reporter. 32% said nobody, I trust my instincts. 27% said a friend, family member, or peer. 22% said a famous academic. 14% said a, a pastor I personally know. 14%, that was depressing. 12% said a teacher I personally know. 0%, 7% said a politician. 6% said a, a famous pastor. And 6% said a celebrity. Today, as never before, the character of the Bible is publicly attacked and labeled as cruel and oppressive. And those who uphold the historic view of its truthfulness, absolute truthfulness, are seen in the same light as cruel and oppressive. That's the age we are presently living in. There's enormous social pressure on Christians today to abandon the historic understanding of the inspiration and authority of the Holy Scriptures and the important life-shaping role the Bible should play in our lives, in all of our lives. The younger generations are feeling this pressure more than ever, especially in this age of social media and 24-7 news. And the constant messaging, all truth is relative. The more they hear it, the greater chance they will start to believe it. That's why it's being repeated over and over and over again in so many places, through so many mediums, because if you hear it enough, you begin to believe it as truth. This is what our kids are. This is the culture. This is the time, the era that our kids are, are being raised up in. And church, it's important. I can't stress it enough. It's important that we talk about the reliability and authority and sufficiency and, and finality of the Bible with our children. That we model a sincere love for God's word that they will emulate. Can I hear a big amen? We must never neglect the scriptures, their, their place of prominence in our lives, nor in the lives of our children, lest we, lest they drift away from the faith. The only hope of a better tomorrow is in Jesus Christ, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Gracious Father in heaven, as we dive into your word today, I pray for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, our helper, our teacher, our comforter. I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit you would speak through your servant, that you would open our hearts, our minds to the truth, the truth of our text, your word today, that it would penetrate deep. Oh, that we would be built up and strengthened in our faith, convicted, transformed by the power of your word. Be glorified, I pray, in the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, Beautiful name we pray, amen. Hebrews 
4, verses 11 and 12. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In Hebrews chapter 4, the author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes about the promise of rest. He's writing to Jewish Christians under tremendous persecution. Now, this is extremely important to see if we're going to understand the link between Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, and Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. In the very beginning of this chapter, Hebrews 4.1, the author pens, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, God's rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Short of God's rest. How terrible that would be to fall short of God's promised rest. Nobody here wants to fall short of God's promised rest. Verse 11 says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest rest why why be diligent verse 11 answers the why question lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience whose example of disobedience the example of israel in the wilderness back in hebrews chapter 3 verse 19 it says so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief back in the old testament In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 8, God commanded the Israelites saying, Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give to them and their descendants after them. Generation after generation. The land which God had promised was to be a blessing to the children of God. One generation after another generation, a place of prosperity, a place of abundance, a place of peace, a place of rest. But the Israelites disobeyed God's command. They disobeyed his word. And they did not enter the land, his promised rest that he had provided for them. That he promised was theirs. Hebrews 3.19 says, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. The disobedience that Hebrews 4.11 is talking about is the result of their unbelief. Unbelief is a failure to trust. One of today's big truths. Unbelief is a failure to trust. If I ask Pastor Ken to come up on the platform and turn his back to me and fall back into my arms and I tell him that I I promise to catch him. If he said no, he would be saying, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. Well, that would be hurtful. The reason he wouldn't trust me has to do with unbelief. He doesn't believe me. He doesn't believe that I would catch him. He's fearful that I would just take a step away and he'd fall on his back. Unbelief is a failure to trust God. 
back in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, God instructs the next generation of Israelites saying, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to obey, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know have, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and of fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, short supply, in which you will lack nothing. And when you have eaten and are full, Then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good of the land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, which I command you today. Back to our main text. The author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, basically tells the Jewish believers he's writing to, don't be like your forefathers. Because their failure to trust kept them out of God's rest. And if you fail to trust his promises, it will keep you out of God's rest too. Very clear message. The practical application for us here today is clear. Failure to trust is failure to enter God's rest. Our refusal to obey God's word boils down to failure to trust, which produces in us a disobedient heart, which prevents us, in this case, from entering God's rest. You see, we forfeit God's peace in our lives. We forfeit God's peace, God's rest in our marriages, in our families, in our work relationships, in our relationship with God. In the context of our text, we see that the generation before them failed to trust the good news they had heard preached to them. Look at Hebrews 4.2. Just go to verse 2. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them. Underscore that. But the word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. There was a faith crisis. There was unbelief in the word that God spoke. They failed to trust the good news, the word of God that was preached to them, the promises of God that he would care for them and give them victory and forgive them and be merciful to them. They didn't believe God. They murmured in their troubles and wanted to turn back to to Egypt rather than follow God. In scripture, Egypt is a picture of the world that lives in opposition to God's truth. 
God had already delivered them from Egypt out of the world. Now they were in the wilderness. He had promised this amazing land that we just read about. It was theirs for the taking. All they had to do was believe and do what God commanded them to do. And so in Scripture, Egypt is a picture of the world that lives in opposition to God's truth. In fact, the Holy Spirit inspired John to write in one of his epistles in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. A whole generation died in the wilderness because of unbelief. Unbelief that was rooted in their lack of trust, which led to their disobedience. They disobeyed God's commands, God's words. Today's text is an argument for why we must be diligent to enter God's rest by hearing, believing, trusting and obeying God's word. On your outline, fill in these blanks. Hearing, hearing, plus believing, hearing, plus believing, plus trusting, hearing, plus believing, plus trusting, plus obeying. Can we say it all together? Equals? See the progress? Hearing God's word, believing God's word, trusting God's word, obeying God's word, enjoying God's rest. See how important this book is? I'm so glad this book loves me. I love it back. This book has been more than good to me and my family, and I thank God for his inspired, infallible word. Amen? The rest being talked about in our text is deep and profound. It speaks to how we can live in peace, whether poor or rich, sick or healthy, in, in trials or in joyful times, regardless of, of circumstances. The one trusting the Lord has peace, knowing God is in control. They have the inner confidence, knowing that no weapon formed against them shall prosper, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. They rest in God's wisdom. If God said it, that settles it. It's not open for debate. I love Proverbs Chapter 30, verse 5. Every word of God is pure. That word in the Hebrew means tested. Every word of God is pure, tested. It's been tested. It's been brought through the fire and it's come out. It went in pure. It came out pure. It came, it went into the fire perfectly pure. 100% pure. It came out of the fire perfect. Amen? 100% pure. Every word of God is pure, tested. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. 
Here's an acronym for rest that Pastor Ken and I came up with yesterday. We were talking in my office and I said, hey, Pastor Ken, would you come and brainstorm with me? Holy Spirit, help us here. And so this is what we came up with. And so I encourage you to fill in the blanks on your outline. R is for reading God's word. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. E is for experiencing the person and power of God's word. Jeremiah 23, 29 says, is not my word like fire declares the Lord and like a hammer which shatters a rock? Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and sharper and powerful. Amen? The word became flesh and lived among us. S is for staying in God's word. The Bible is not just a book to read. It's a book to read. It's a book to experience. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. S is for staying in God's word. I know when I don't stay in God's word, oh, things get ugly. I know I'm alone. T is for trusting God's word. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, your words were found and I ate them and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Oh, I just look. Oh, can we read that together? Ready? One, two, three. Your words were found and I ate them and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Wow. Reading. Experiencing, staying, and trusting is being diligent to enter that rest. That's the diligence that the author of Hebrews is speaking about. Reading, experiencing, staying, and trusting is being diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. God provided us the example of the generation in the wilderness so we would not make the same mistake let's stop here to make the connection between verses 11 and 12 of our main text verse 12 is given a reason for the call of diligence in verse 11 verse 11 says in essence be sure that you know and trust the word of God referred to in verse 2 the good news of God's promises we just read that verse just a moment ago Then verse 12 says, yes, and one reason to do this is because this word, the good news referred to in verse 2, is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, etc. Now let's just step back a minute and get the big picture. Four things, four things are are being communicated. Uh, Number one, the great goal of life according to this chapter of the book of Hebrews is to enter God's rest. How many here want to enter God's rest? Well, some of you do. Number two, to enter this joyful rest, we must trust God. End of story. It's not open for debate. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Faith, belief in him. Number three, to believe and trust him, we must hear his word. 
And number four, finally, we are to be diligent in his word lest we give way to unbelief. This is the front burner issue for the book of Hebrews. We read this throughout the book. Hebrews chapter two, verse one says, therefore we must give them more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Can we drift away? Are we capable, church, of drifting away? Hebrews 3, one says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Don't listen to all the lies, the false preachers. Stay in the word. The word that became flesh lived among us. Hebrews 3.12 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Can we depart from the living God? Hebrews chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 say, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice. This is how we hear his voice, church. Have you heard his voice this week? Have you heard his voice this week? What? is God saying to you? What is God speaking to you? Have you heard his voice today? Because this is how we hear his voice. I hear it often. Oh, I haven't heard anything from God lately. I always like to ask, when was the last time you opened the Bible? God speaking. It's not that God spoke in times past. Yes, true, but he's speaking today. Amen? Every time we open this book, God is speaking. God is, don't you love the book? Oh, the book loves you. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So now we see the call of this book considering the big picture. Be diligent. Be diligent. Amen, church? Be diligent. Reading, experiencing, staying, and trusting. Be diligent. Pay attention. Consider closely. Take care. Take care of what you hear. Take care. Be a good steward. Be diligent. Be a good steward. Take care what you hear God speaking. Wow. That's all in this word. Be be diligent. Pay attention. Consider. Take care. Do not harden your hearts. Hear the book. Believe the book. Trust the book. Obey the book. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Why? Well, Hebrews 4.12 tells us, for the word of God is living and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. 
and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, I would like to take every word here and probe it into why it is used. Living and powerful, two-edged sword, the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, thoughts and intents of the heart, and, and so on. These are worth meditating on for hours, but this morning we are going to focus our attention on the word of God is a discerner. That's one of the functions of the word of God. It is a discerner according to the author who was inspired by the Holy Spirit in our text. When it comes into us, it penetrates very deep like a sword through tough, hard layers and discerns, makes judgments about what's there in the deepest places of our lives. The word discerner is translated in the, in the Greek, judge. It means to assess, not condemn, not here in our text. It means to judge, to assess, not condemn, but assess. And that's so critically, critically important. Oh, we'll miss the connection between verses 11 and 12. The word of God penetrates to the deepest place in our lives and assesses what's there. Is it good or is it bad? Jeremiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, in chapter 17 of his book, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The Lord speaking through the prophet says in verse 10 of Jeremiah 17, I, the Lord, search, judge, discern, assess the heart. How does he do that? Right here. The word of God. The word of God. That's how he does it. Through the word of God. The third person of the Trinity, the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, takes the absolute truth of the word of God and he assesses, he judges, he discerns what's there, good or bad. Now let's be more specific. What's really at stake in, this, in these chapters in the book of Hebrews? What's at stake is entering God's rest. Eternity is at stake. The way to enter that rest is faith, believe, trust in God's word, promises. The one who came to take away the sins of the world, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The danger in these chapters is not just bad thoughts. Hear this today, church. That's not the real danger. That's not the great danger in these chapters. It's not just bad thoughts. How many of us, from, from time to time, we have bad thoughts? That's not, the, the, that's not the, the great danger in these chapters. The great danger is unbelieving thoughts. Remember Hebrews 3.19 says, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And so what we need is protection from unbelief. It's unbelief that will keep us out of God's rest, out of God's perfect will. 
That's what's at stake in the call for being diligent in verse 11. And that's why the word of God in verse 12 is so critical for us. The word of God penetrates to the bottom of all our defenses and deceptions and exposes our belief or unbelief. It assesses our thoughts and intentions as to whether they are believing thoughts and intentions or unbelieving thoughts and intentions. Are we trusting the promises of God? Or are we not? This is what I need help with. This is what Pat Medeiros needs help with. Because my heart is desperately deceitful and wicked. And God's word provides the help that I need. Are my thoughts and intentions rooted in God's word? Look at Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through deceitfulness of sin. Today, today, we live today in this age, in this, in this period called grace. It's the day of grace. While it is called today, why it's called grace, grace, grace lest any of you be hardened through deceitfulness of sin. Notice three things here. Verse 12 reminds us of the danger we face today. Um, we face day in and, and, and day out, an unbelieving heart that could lead us away from God. This is serious stuff. I see this more and more in conversations with young people. There's a belief crisis, there's a tension is this really true? God really created everything in six days? I, I, I'm struggling with, with believing this. I, I lean more to not believing it than believing it. You really think Noah built this big boat? These are kids that have grown up with the banner called Christian Church. When I was thinking about this this polling from the Bonner group and one of the, the responses was I've never thought about it that's a real issue today even in the, in the body of Christ people aren't giving any thought to what's going on today Bible says know the times that we're living in give thought think about what's going on around you because when you don't you're going to end up with a secular worldview and not a biblical worldview you're going to have a worldview based on lies upon lies upon lies instead of the absolute truth of God's word. And I see this happening as a pastor, 30-something years pastoring. Boy, it just weighs on my heart. Weighs on my heart. Number two, the second thing is, is the command to encourage one another daily. And that's why we offer several opportunities throughout the week to connect, whether through home community groups, church Bible studies, the CHU for young adults, which is going to happen tonight at Pastor Bob's house at 6 p.m. It's an acronym. I'm trying to remember. That's pretty bad when you came up with the acronym and you can't remember it now. Capturing his empowering word. Thank you. And more. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 10. I'm too young for that. Hebrews chapter 10. We just celebrated 28 years of marriage yesterday. 
you know what really hit me yesterday? And I was thanking God in the morning. And I was saying, God, thank you for blessing me with a wife who loves you more than me. Who loves you more than me. I'm a blessed man because of it. Amen? And her love for the Holy Scriptures is just inspiring. And it inspires me. It inspires all of our children. And I know our grandchildren as they grow. And number two is on the way, July 7th. Amen. Be praying for Shannon now and Manny. Stella, it's exciting. Hebrews chapter 10 is where we were. Verses 23 and 24. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider one another in order to store up love and, and, and good works, not forsaken the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. And that's happening more and more and more and more and more. But exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The third thing that stands out is the danger of being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need help to keep from being deceived by sin. I do. That's what the word of God does. It is living and powerful and penetrates to the bottom of our lives and rips the pleasant mask of the ugly face of sin. That pleasant mask, oh, it looks good, doesn't it? Sin always looks good on the outside, this mask. But the word of God rips it away and you see sin's ugly face. That's what the word of God does. I need need the word of God to help. One big reason anybody sins is because at some level they are deceived. They stop believing the lies of sin instead of the promises of God. Sin whispers through the desires of the flesh and the reasoning or justification of the mind. Your only hope of future happiness is to leave your spouse. It whispers that you will not have a chance in the future if you don't lie on your resume. It whispers, your spouse is neglecting you. You can have the affair. You deserve to be loved. It whispers, you look weak. People don't respect you. Get revenge. Every one of those whispers is a lie. Is what Hebrews 3, verse 13 calls the deceitfulness of sin. How many we've heard whispers? Maybe not those whispers, but we've heard whispers. The whispers of sin. Have you ever heard the whispers of sin? I hear the whispers of sin. Oh, I'm alone here today. Now those lies sometimes lodge themselves very deep in the heart as thoughts and intentions. That's what the author of Hebrews tells us in verse 12. And they seem unshakable unshakably true because of the hardness of deception that encloses them like a dark sealed vault. In that condition, unbelief has the upper hand. We are not believing in the promises of God. We are trusting in the promises of sin, the lies of sin. And we're in mortal danger of becoming so hard that repentance will become impossible. Hebrews chapter six, verses four through six says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. 
Boy, that does, if that doesn't put the fear of God in you, I don't know what will. Church, I know you love God's truth. And I'm so blessed and, and honored to pastor, to be your pastor. Because I know you come here, you desire the truth. You don't want the watered down version. You want the truth. And that's why you come week after week after week after week. And I thank you for your prayers because I got to stand before the Lord one day and give account for every word that I've spoken. And that's a serious, serious reality in my life. Our only hope in escaping the deceit of sin is that there is something sharp enough and powerful enough to penetrate through all the deception and discern, assess, judge, shed light on my thoughts and intentions. And that one and only hope is the word of God. I'm so thankful for this book. This book has saved me, not just once, not just twice, not just three times, four times, five times, a hundred times, a thousand times, ten thousand times. This book keeps saving me, and I love this book, and this book loves me, and it loves you. Psalms 119.11 says, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Revenge will not make you feel better. Lying will not provide you a better life. Having an affair will not make you happy. What rescues us from this deception is the word of God. Um, so can we just thank God for his word? Can we thank God for his word? Oh, join me standing and let's pray together. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, I pray that you've been glorified through the preaching of your word and that everybody here has been encouraged, strengthened, and built up in their faith. I pray for those that don't know you, that today through the power of your spirit, the word that has gone forth today, that you would draw them to yourself, that they would be numbered among those who have called upon the name of the Lord and have been saved. We pray for this. We pray for this. Thank you for your holy word. I pray anyone here today who is being deceived by sin's whispers that they would turn from the deceptive promises of sin and trust in the all-satisfying promises of your word. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all God's people say, amen.